it runs entirely through the Bible. And we thank you for that. We're going to see beautiful pictures on Sunday. Open our hearts to hear and understand how you have been seeking us out all the days of our life for running after us. Like the righteous father that ran over the prodigal son when he came into the picture from a distance, the father ran to him. I think that pro that that parable should be written instead of the prodigal son, the faithful father. And we thank you, Lord, for being faithful to us so that we could be redeemed and so we can spend eternity with you in your kingdom. Thank you for loving us so much that you gave your only begotten son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. For those of you out there, as I said earlier, if you could turn to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. I named this the covenant passes on to Isaac. In this chapter, we're going to see that Abraham dies and the covenant passes on to the promised son. But I want to remind you of what we saw in chapter chapter 22, the the 10 spiritual parallels that we see in Isaac, the father of the son, and the, and the, um, the, the groom, or not the groom, but, but the son, the father and the son, how we see a beautiful picture of God the father in Abraham and Christ the son in Isaac. It's a typology. I want to remind you that God told Abraham to offer up his son, and he took him up to Mount Moriah, a three days journey, and and uh, you know, up when he got up there, Isaac was carrying the wood for the sacrifice, and he says to his dad, he says, "Dad, uh, we have the wood, we have the fire, but where's the sacrifice?" And then the eighth verse I love so dearly, when Abraham says, "God shall provide Himself the sacrifice." Clear indication that God Himself will be the sacrifice someday. This is a picture of the promised Messiah. So instead of Isaac being sacrificed, Jesus was sacrificed. Instead of you being crucified on that cross, it was Jesus who was crucified on the cross. Beautiful things. Beautiful things from the Word. So because the ram got its horns stuck in the thickets, which I never heard of a deer or a ram ever getting its horns stuck in the thicket. They just know their, their uh, environment. It just don't happen. But this one got his horns caught in a thicket. You know that that was placed there by God. So instead of Isaac being on the altar, it's the ram on the altar. Beautiful pictures. And last week and the week before that, we saw, you know, a beautiful typology, an Old Testament event that demonstrates a New Testament truth. We saw Abraham as, uh, as a typology of God. We saw Isaac as a type of son. We saw Eliezer, whose name means helper. We saw him as a, as a type of Holy Spirit. And then we saw Rebekah as the bride of Christ. So we saw that, that's what's going on today. That's what's going on today. We see the father sent his son. He's looking for a bride. He sent the Holy Spirit to look for the bride. And all of us, including those over the Internet, if you've accepted Jesus, have been 
called as the bride of Christ. And someday the church will be married to Christ. And that's a, such a beautiful, beautiful pictures. But in chapter 25 now, the covenant was given to Abraham. In chapter 23, you know, well, we see that, you know, Abraham and Sarah was told that they were going to have a, a son in their old age. And, of course, Sarah laughed. One of the angels, who was really a, a pre-incarnate appearance of Christ, it was a Christophany, he even confronted that. Sarah was behind the tent. He didn't hear. He heard the heart. And Isaac, you know, he was named Isaac because his name means laughter. Abraham believed God, and, and he laughed when Isaac was born. And Sarah laughed because she says, can a woman of 90 years old bear a child? And she laughed. Listen, when the covenant was passed on to Abraham, he had no heir except Eliezer, who was a representation or a type of Holy Spirit, because his name meant, means helper. And he was the one sent out for, to gather a bride, and he's the one today that still is gathering a bride for Christ Jesus to this day. But the covenant promise passed on to Isaac, uh, from Abraham, which was, you know, the Lord is going to give him the promised land. Abraham never owned anything in the promised land except the cave of Machpelah, which we're going to see here tonight, you know, except the cave of Machpelah, which is where he buried Sarah, and he purchased that from from the uh, people in the land of Canaanites that, that owned that land. And that's the only thing he possessed. He believed God for the promise, yet he never saw it. That's faith. That's what he's reckoned for. You know, if you read the scriptures, you know it's because Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And because we believe God that he sent his son, we're reckoned to be righteous, you know, through the son Jesus. But tonight, the covenant's going to pass on to Isaac because Abraham is going to, to die and we're going to see these things as we move along. So, Let's read Genesis chapter 25, verses 1 through 6. I th this is the New American Standard Version. No, I'm sorry. It's the New King James Version. Abraham took a wife, and her name was Katara. Uh-uh. He had Hagar. Remember, she bore Ishmael, okay, which was the son of the flesh because they acted without faith. Then we see it. 90 years old, Sarah had a son, and Abraham was 100 years old, and he was the son of promise. He's the son that God promised to, uh, to Abraham. But we see that Abraham took another wife, and her name was Katara. So Abraham, after Sarah died, took a wife. Her name was Katara, and he had other sons. And they're listed here in the scriptures. And she bore him Zimran, Jokhan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, Sholah, Jokhan, begot Sheba, and Dinam. And the sons of Dinam were Asherim, Lesherim, and Lemanin. Leman, 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 and the son of Midian were Ephah, and Ephor, and Hanok, and Abadah, and Eldah, Eldok. All these were the children of Katara, 
There were six of them there, in case you didn't know that. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, which is a picture of God is going to give all that he has to his son, Jesus Christ, which we learned in chapter 24, and that what we are co-heirs with Jesus as the bride of Christ. So we are enter into co-heirship with what Jesus possesses, which is everything from God the Father. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, but Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, and while he was still living, he sent them eastward away from his son to the country of the east. So he gave everything that he had to his son, and he gave gifts to his other sons, these other six sons that he had, and I'm sure probably Ishmael was included in that. I'm not sure. We know that he was sent away earlier. Um, Abraham, Sarah dies here, and she's 127 years old when she dies. That means that Isaac was um, was 27 years, or, or um, she had 27 years, well, 37 years with her son Isaac. Okay, that puts Isaac at 120, one, um, well, add 20 years or 10 years, 137 when he when his mother dies. Abraham lives another 38 years, and he marries Katara. So after Sarah died, he lived another 38 years. You can all figure that out in the numerical things involved in this chapter and others. He marries Katara, who's a concubine. She has six more children. So he has a total of eight children. There was Ishmael, Isaac, and these six here. Through union with Katara came the nations of the Midianites. And if you remember right, the Midianites were, were thorns in Israel's side all the way. And you notice that Abraham sent all his other sons away from Isaac. The Midianites were a thorn in Israel's side all the way through. Um, you see, Gideon was raised up as a judge to come against the Midianites who used to attack Israel from the rear. They would, they would pick on the weak of the flaw of the, the people of Abraham and uh, of Isaac, of Moses, whenever they came through the land. It was actually Moses leading them through the desert. The Midianite would attack them from the rear and, and steal what they could. And, and they, were, they were, what can I say? Um, they weren't willing to face the battle straight on. They had to come around the other way, and they were a problem to Israel. They were attacked when, as I said in Numbers 25, they were attacked when they came out of Egypt by the Midianites. This is, this is family feud going on here. You know, really, that's what's going on. In verse 16 of this chapter, um, of 16 of... Uh, He's, God tells him, be hostile to the Midianites. He tells this to Moses. Be hostile to the Midianites and strike them because they have been hostile to you with tricks and they have deceived you. So God is telling Moses when he comes out of problem, be hostile to them. So we can see that there's problems going on with this family already. It's sibling rivalry, really, still going on even to this day. Verse 25, chapter 25, verse 5, Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, 
Isaac, you remember, is the preeminent son, the only son of Sarah, the son of the promised covenant, according to Genesis 22. When I gave you those 10 spiritual parallels a few weeks ago in detail, three things Abraham does with his children. He gives gifts to his son. He sent them eastward, Midian, the region southeast of Canaan. That's where he sent them, away, away from Isaac. He probably learned a big lesson from Ishmael and the problems that went on there. And he didn't want any more problem with the promised son, with them attacking or coming against the promised son, which is Isaac. So Genesis 25, 7 through 11, this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life. And he lived 175 years and Abraham breathed his last and died a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the same cave of Machpelah, which he had, which he is before Merm, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zophar, the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. There Abraham was buried and Sarah his wife and it came to pass after the death of Abraham that God blessed his son Isaac and Isaac dwelt in Bear Lehayroy Bear Lehayroy so in this Genesis the book of Genesis Abraham dies he's 175 years old and he's buried in that cave of Machpelah which I told you last Chapter 23 tells us that that's the land he bought and the cave that he bought to bury Sarah, his beloved wife. Now Abraham's buried there. When we get to chapter 20, 35, we are going to see that Isaac is buried in this cave. When we get to chapters 49, we're going to see that Isaac's wife, Rebecca, is buried in this cave. We're going to see in Genesis chapter 49 that Leah, the wife of Jacob, is buried in this cave and Jacob himself is buried in this cave so we have six people buried in this cave we have the the um, fathers we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their spouses are buried in this cave most people think that Rachel was uh, uh, Jacob's wife but Leah is the one the son of the, the woman that bore the bloodline to Jacob, who was renamed Israel, if you remember that. Leah's son was Judah. He was the fourth son. Reuben went into Abraham's concubine. He lost his birthright. Simeon and Levi, you know, um, had a plan to be mass murderers. And when her sister was raped by a particular man, they said the only way that you can have marry our sister is if you are circumcised. So they went and circumcised them because the guy loved, loved their sister. And uh, while they were healing, they attacked them and killed them. And they became mass murderers. And they lost their birthright, which passed on to Judah. As you know, Jesus, of course, is the lion of the tribe of what? Judah. Okay? So... The half-brothers, 
Isaac and Ishmael actually unite to bury their father. Isn't that the case in most funerals? You know, you see, even if the kids are at odds with one another, they will group together and, and come together at a memorial or a funeral or a wake and most likely pretend like nothing happened, but then most of the time, unfortunately, they go back to their same way of life, and that's exactly what happened to Isaac and Ishmael. And the war still goes on. The sibling rivalry still goes on to, the, to this day. So they unite for this pan, at least at this time. Usually at this time of weddings and funerals, people set aside their differences in one way or another. Ishmael now is 89 years old. He's 14 years older than Isaac. Isaac's 75 years old when his dad dies. You remember, he's, he's 100 when, when, uh, Abraham, when Isaac was born, so that makes him 75 years old. And, of course, Ishmael is 13 to 14 years older, and he, he is uh, 89 years old. These are not young pups anymore. They're at, and according to the ages that they lived, they are at midlife. Isaac is 60 when he has Jacob and Esau. Isaac is 60 years old when he has Jacob and Esau. Chapter 25, verse 11, makes it clear that the covenant of promise passed to Isaac just as God said. God blessed Isaac. All other sons of Abraham were eliminated from the covenant. That includes Ishmael. Here it is in Genesis. Um, um, let's say Isaac dwelt, before we get to that part, Isaac dwelt at Bear Leheroi, which is the well of the living one who sees. That's where Hagar cried out to God and said, you know, we're going to die in the desert because Abraham only gave him enough for like a week's worth of water and, and food to, to when he sent Ishmael away with Hagar. And she was going to die. And she cried out to God. And God showed her this well. It was called the well of, um, of the living one who sees. The God who sees. Genesis 16, 13, and 14. Wherefore the well was called Ber-Leheroi. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad and Hagar bare Abraham, Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, which with which Hagar bare Ishmael. Chapter twenty-five, verse twelve through eighteen. Now, this is the genealogy of Ishmael, Abraham's son. You're going to see that this this is one of the bloodlines that run through the scriptures. Every single bloodline that it runs through the scriptures drops somewhere in the scriptures. And Ishmael's line is going to drop after this. You aren't going to hear of the Ishmael's anymore. But the bloodline to Christ, all the way from Genesis to Revelation, it's all there. You know, so it's important that you know that so that we know that the only bloodline, the only scarlet thread of redemption, which I'm going to teach on Sunday, is, is, comes only through Christ and Christ alone. It doesn't come through Ishmael. You know, it doesn't come through, through any of the other sons of, of Abraham. Abraham's son, whom Hagar bare, bare, Hagar the Egyptian, 
Sarah's maidservant bore to Abraham, and these were the names of the sons of Ishmael by their names according to their generations. I have to go through this again. I'm not good at pronunciation. The firstborn Ishmael, the secondborn Nebuchadnezzar, then Kedar, then Adbeel, then Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Mesa, Hedar, Tima, Jeter, Naphish, and Kedimah. These are the sons of Ishmael, and, their, and these were their names by the towns and the settlements and their settlements. Twelve princes and thirty twelve princes according to their nations. These were the years of the life of Ishmael, one hundred and seventy or thirty seven years, and he breathed his last and died, and was gathered to his people. They dwelt in Havilar as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt, as you go towards Assyria. He died in the presence of all of his brethren. God promised in this passage that that there would be twelve princes, and if you go through all these names again, which I'm not going to, there's twelve. See, the Word of God, when God speaks, it happens. That's just the way it is. God said it, that settles it, it is done. There are 12 princes here. And they make up basically all the Arab nations today. And I went through it on the the iPhone today, or yesterday, whenever I did it. You know, and I went through the Arab nations. And I found out that in the Arab nations in 2020, there were 401 million strong, 401 million strong of the Arab nations. All here is all these different, Egypt, Sudan, Algeria, Morocco, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, Oman, Yemen, Kuwait, Iraq, Jordan, and some more. All these total about 401 million, basically Muslims, okay? Also, within that number, of 401 million, they claim that there's 40 million Christians. 40 million Christians. That's one-tenth. Ten percent, rather. Ten percent or one-tenth, you know, of, of, of Arab nations are Christian. 40 million out of 401 million. At one time, I don't know if it's equal today, but Egypt was the largest Christian nation there was in the Middle East and in that area. There are more Christians there than than Muslims or any other religion. And I think that has changed now. Ishmael's death, you know, he dies at 137. Okay? His death comes, you know, 48 years after Abraham's death. So he lives 48 years after his father dies. Isaac lives to be 57 years before before Isaac's death. He lives to be 57. Verse 19 of chapter 25. This is the genealogy, uh, genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethel, the Syrian of Pandan Aram the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now, 
Isaac pleaded with the Lord for a wife. And because she was barren, the Lord granted The Lord granted his plea. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled within her womb. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. In other words, she prayed, Lord, why is this struggle going on? And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. The older shall serve the younger. And, of course, we know that these are Esau and Jacob. Esau was, he came out first. But, but um, Esau, uh, Jacob had his heel. That's kind of an indication that the younger will serve, or the older will serve the younger. This ends Isaac's account right here. So we're going to be moving into Jacob's account on the scriptures. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as a wife. So for anybody out there that's single, be patient. Be patient. You know, God will bring your wife. Let God bring the wife to you. I remember, this is a small church. It's always been kind of small, really. You know, uh, in our prime here, we might have been 40. In the house, we were 60. But in the prime, we were 40. Back years ago, um, there was a young man who used to sit right up in his front row. He got saved. He went through fervent prayer. He was doing well. One day, he walked in. And there's some like this young lady sitting in his chair, young lady. So he said, that lady got my chair. She's younger than him. She's about, about, no, she's about two years older than him. He's sitting in that chair. She's sitting in his chair where he always sits. And here comes, he's in here. He walks up to the front. He says, she's in my chair. His his, uh, aunt told me today that he says, I'm not going to give her my, I'm going to sit right beside her. And they struck a relationship right there. And about a year later, and after some counseling, about a year and a half later, they were married. And, you know, about a year ago, I dedicated their baby to the Lord. You know, they were married about a year and a half before they ever even considered a baby. And today, their baby was this big walking around, you know, at the memorial that I was at. So trust in the Lord. Isaac waited for his wife. And she, Rebecca, he loved her with all of his heart. So you single people out there, you don't have to go to a church for that's big where you can meet somebody. Believe me, I was part of a big church at one time, and a lot of people went to those single groups to find a mate. I never went to a single one of them, and I found my mate. Not a single one. And my buddies could say, come on, come on, come on. I'm there, nope, nope. I wait till God sends her. It was nine years. But he does center. So <clears throat> it will happen. Give it to God. And here's here's Isaac, a good example. He he was praying for a wife, and he and he had one because God gave her to him. He was out in the field, you know, whenever Rebecca was coming on the camel, and uh, and it just happened. 
He knew and Rebecca knew and they loved each other all their days. Rebecca was barren though in verse 21. Her barrenness lasted 20 years. So that means that Isaac had his first son, these two sons, at age 60. At age 60. Now we know that they lived a lot longer. I, I believe Isaac lived 185 years. He's still in midlife almost. Isaac resorts to prayer basically in verse 21. Rebecca was barren, so he, re he, he resorted to prayer. And I've had people come here that tried to get pregnant for eight years and a verge of divorce. And I took them from the back, and it was a door in a weekday, and I brought them up front, and I said, let's give the Lord. See what the Lord has to say about this. And within, I think it was within three months, she was pregnant. And now they have two kids. Matter of fact, when I, dedic when I dedicated their their daughter they announced that they were having another child i mean i was so broken up up here I, I my heart couldn't even speak and even some of the people come up and said i never saw you like that before never saw you like that because i'm i'm thinking they asked for one child god gives them two so praise the lord ask god don't go chasing around after your mate god will send them and that way you're sure it's the right one um the insight into Isaac's spiritual character. We saw that he went out to the field to meditate last chapter. Okay, and that's when he saw Rebekah coming on the camel. He's praying in verse 21 right here in this chapter. And in chapter 26, <coughs> you're going to see <coughs> that Isaac is praying. Not praying, he's worshiping the Lord. So Isaac's example is he meditates on the Word of God, he prays to the Lord God, and he worships the Lord God. You know, keep that in mind. We're supposed to meditate on the Word of God all the days of our life. We're supposed to pray all the days of our life. We're supposed to worship all the days of our life. You know, there's, there's uh, let's see, like father, like son. Deuteronomy 4, 7 says this. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you're in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You know that verse. We're supposed to talk about the Lord 24-7, 365 days a year. Yet today, even in the church, if, you, if, you, if you're like that, even, they, even the church, some of the church people think you're crazy. They do, because you give yourself all to God. That's wrong, people. You give yourself all to God, no matter where He takes you. He will, he will give you whatever it takes that you need for whatever He calls you to do. So he's praying for his child, and we should be praying for our children. God answers Isaac's prayer. Rebecca conceives after 20 years. As I said, Isaac's 60 years old. Rebecca's 40 years old, probably. She was probably a teenager whenever she was, was found by Eleazar. Remember, a, a, a type of Holy Spirit. Okay? So she's probably 40 years old before she has a child. Rebecca senses an unrest within her womb. The children are struggling with each other. You know, what did she do? She, number one, I tell everybody this COVID thing, you got to go to the Lord first. He's your first line of escape. 
someone today came up to me and said, Lord, I, you know, Pastor Joe, I want you to pray for us, for me. And, uh, and, but I took it to the Lord first. That's exactly what they said to me. I said, good. You took it to the Lord, you come up, and we're going to pray for that person after the service is over. Take it to the Lord, and that's what she did. She asked the Lord, what's going on here? You know, I guess a woman back in those days, you know, life and death could be possibly in that womb, you know. She could die with a breech birth or whatever. But she was concerned, obviously. She went to the Lord. Your first line of defense is to go to the Lord, and that's prayer. First line of defense, get on your knees and pray. Abraham prayed for a son. Isaac prayed for a son. Rachel prayed for a son. Hannah prayed for a son. We talked about Hannah's son, Samuel, on Sunday. These people all prayed for the son. <coughs> Remember what James told us. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask from God who gives all liberally, liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. In other words, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. And you can do, do those things, and then you, then you go to God and say, Lord, how come my mate isn't here yet? How come I don't have a son yet? Well, you're just showing a little bit of doubt there. You've got to say, I asked and I will receive, no matter what anybody says. Have faith in God, says uh, Mark 11. Have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, notice God, Jesus, did not say, you ask me to move the mountain. He said, you ask the mountain to move, and in my name, you know, I will do it. Have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, like David did with Goliath, you take that mountain out, Lord, you know. And if you don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you said will happen, if you say something to God, it's a prayer. Did you know that? If you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, and you do not doubt in your heart, but believe what you said God will grant it to you out of your faith. Out of your faith. Because you were, you had faith in him. You believed his word. We have to believe this word because it's absolutely true. Even the things we don't like. <clears throat> so Abraham's legacy lives on in Isaac. He's a praying man. If you walk by the way, if you Speak of the Lord when you sit in your house, when you lie down, when you rise up, and when you walk by the way. Believe me, God will bring you, bring you to uh, your children to you someday, even if they walked away from the Lord. I am convinced of that. Today I was with the family, and, uh, you know, Mama Jay, I did her memorial. Her family there, practically every single one of them was Christian. They all flew in from New Jersey just to bury their mama down here. I mean, I was preaching to to believers today, but I they got a strong message about salvation because some of them aren't where they should be. But Mama J was very, very insistent that Jesus Christ was Lord and she lived a life before her children, every single one of them. You know. And there were grandkids and great grandkids there. Because she was ninety years old when she passed. <clears throat> and they heard the gospel, and they were even of age to understand it. 
So that's just a fulfillment of God's word. If he says it's going to happen, if you teach him to your children diligently, you know Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's old, he won't depart from it. You know, that means he's going to come back even if he walked away. As a matter of fact, I was, they were telling me today, how many of you ever heard of Raul Reese? Raul Reese was a Calvary Chapel pastor. I'm ordained under Calvary Chapels. Raul, Raul Reese, he's about my age, maybe a little bit older. And, uh, you know, he, he had a son that was prodigal, prodigal, bad news, drugs, alcohol, all the good names. He just got radically saved. Now he works with his father. He even prayed over Mama Jay as he was in Florida one day. And they show me a picture of him. That he's just a strong, long, skinny kid, you know, with hair down to here, you know. But, man, he got radically saved. But you know why? Because his father was a solid man in Christ. And he still, he writes books. I I've saw him at different seminars. I never really talked to him. But, you know, you can, you can claim it. For if any of you have wayward children, I have a few myself. They're not bad, bad. They just don't go to church. You know, they have good lives. They have good, beautiful families. But they, it just bothers me. I would like them to come to church. Um, okay. Rebecca senses there's a problem there, so she goes to the Lord. God reveals five things to Rebecca. We read them. She's pregnant with twins. Two nations are in your womb. They will represent two nations, these two twins. These twins. That's number two. Number three, therefore they are boys. Because they're <laughs> so God told them, told Rebecca, you got two boys in your womb. You know, they're you're pregnant with twins. They're gonna represent two nations. Number four, they will be unequal in terms of strength. The younger, the older will serve the younger. In other words, the younger one's gonna be the one that's gonna be strong. And number five, the older will serve the younger. And it speaks of the birthright. It speaks that, you know, Jacob or uh, Isaac, you know, um, Esau and Jacob. Jacob came out last, but he's going to be prominent. He's going to be the, 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 he's going to inherit the birthright. And we're going to learn that story as we move on in the scriptures. Esau and Jacob, they're total opposites. Listen to this, verse 24 through 28. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, and he was hairy. garments, uh, hairy garments all over. They called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took the took hold of Esau's heel. So his name is called Jacob, which Isaac was 60 years old when she bore him. So the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents and Isaac loved Esau but because he ate of his game but Rebekah loved Jacob so here we see that Esau is hairy he's got red hair his personality obviously is defined by his outward appearance he's a rough character Jacob is called subplanter or deceiver or heel catcher that's what the name Jacob means. But he will be renamed by God because you're going to see this man, Jacob, be born again 
in the scriptures as we go on. Because his life is going to change and God's even going to change his name. Esau's a skilled hunter. Jacob's a mild-mannered man. He's more like a housewife type. Esau's an outdoorsman, and Jacob's the kind of guy who likes to stay home. They are completely in total opposites. Esau, you know, was a meat and potato guy, and Jacob was kind of a soup and salad type of guy, if you want to describe it today. Esau was a daddy's boy, and Jacob was a mommy's boy. That's basically what we got going on here. The important point is that Esau is the oldest. The custom is that the firstborn had special responsibilities and privileges. He, was, he, he received a double portion of the inheritance, according to Deuteronomy 21.17. The, the firstborn also carried, the, the, he's the priest of the family. As we can see here, Esau does not fit that plan. Jacob obviously will eventually see, you know, uh, become the priest of the family. You're going to see him change as we move through the chapters. He's the high priest of the family. But Esau was the one who would normally uh, inherit the spiritual responsibility. But he is not capable of it, as you're going to see as we move through the scriptures again. Isaac loved Esau, and Rebekah loved Jacob. Don't tell me, families, that you don't have a favorite in your family. We see one of the, the patriarchs of Scripture has favorites. Esau sells his birthright, chapter 20, verse 29 and 34. Now Jacob cooked a stew. Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, feed me, uh, feed me with that, some, some of that red stew, for I am, I am weary, therefore his name is called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is a birthright to me? He despised his birthright. Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils, and he ate and he drank and he arose and went away. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Jacob, Esau and Jacob also differ in their regard for the birthright. Jacob wanted the birthright. Esau could care less about it. Okay? Esau practically gives away his birthright for a bull stew. Not very smart. Jacob steals it away from him because his name means subplanter or deceiver. That's what his name means. I'll give you a hint. You know his name's going to be changed to Israel, which means means uh, governed by God. That's what the name you know, the nation of Israel means governed by God today. Okay, God will change his name in that future because God knows what's in his heart, even though he doesn't know it himself at this point. There was a time in my life when I was in my you know, teenage years and early 20s, I had no idea that God was going to call me, but he changed me when I got to be 27. You know, um, and that's what's going to happen to Jacob as we move along. 
Esau was a profane or worldly man. He represents the heathens in this, in this uh, scenario right here. Hebrews 12, 16 says, Lest there be any fornicator or profane, profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. On, he's, he's profane. You know, he sold his birthright for a morsel. There's somebody that gave his quote, The worldly heart places no value on the things of God. Have you noticed that when you speak to people? They have no respect or no value on Christianity or on Jesus Christ whatsoever. His values are governed by sight and not faith. The worldly will let go, will not let go of the future order to possess the present. There's a, there's a Tom Elliott, Bill Elliott, Jim Elliott, that said, he's no fool who gives what he can't keep to keep what he cannot lose. The missionary that was killed by the people he was ministering to and praying for for six years. Jacob was Esau's exact, and Jacob's exact opposite. Jacob had a spiritual heart, but Esau represented the world. Jacob um, had his eye on the future by wanting that birthright. He's looking to the future. Esau had it for the moment. Jacob represents the value of our spirituality. The truth is, the more clearly we see the emptiness of man's present, the more we should cling to God's future. You think of it that way. Listen, this presence isn't going to last long. Some of us are, you know, 30 and up. If you lived another 70 years, it goes like that. Was a one of the last things Billy Graham was said to answer a question. He said, somebody asked him, I think it was a reporter, what, what exactly do you have to say about, you know, about life? And he said, I don't know what, how the question went. But he said, what surprises him about life is the brevity of it. And brevity means how short it is. How short it is. So if you live to be 100, it's short. It's going to go like that. I'm trying to figure out where the last 30 years went. I really am. Esau despises birthright. Despise means disregard as unimportant. We Christians, there's a lesson here, we Christians need to value our inheritance, our inheritance with Christ in the kingdom of God. You value it. You think this world is beautiful? It's nothing compared to God's world. He says, I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men all that he has prepared for those that love him. Jesus said, if it were not so, I would not have told you. I'll go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and I'll take you to myself. Wow. Listen, we have to be, you know, this life is nothing compared to the life to come. Um, here's some treasures, and I'll close it here because we're at closing time. Ten treasures of our birthright in Christ. Our birthright in Christ. Number one, 
blessing of being chosen by Christ. This is the creator of the universe. There's not a thing that was made that was made that Jesus was not involved in. He was in the world. And he, he was in the world, and the world did not know him. He came to his own people. But those who did receive him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. You have been, your birthright in Christ, one of the treasures is you were chosen by Christ, the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Number two, you have been given every spiritual blessing. We have every spiritual blessing because of Christ. It's a treasure of our birthright. Number three, we have been adopted into God's family. Not only are you the son of your father and mother or the daughter of your father and mother, you are now adopted into God's family. He's our father. That's why Jesus said, you know, in the Old Testament, the Jews never really called God father. Jesus is the one that brought this out. He said to you, you say, our father who art in heaven. When he prayed, he said, father, you know, we, we were adopted by God himself into his family. That's treasure number three. Treasure number four, you've been totally accepted by God. God didn't say no, he adopted you. He said yes to you. Number five, he redeemed you from the slavery of sin. It's one of our treasures. We've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. Even though, even though we do sin, we're not slaves to it anymore. Now, there are things that bind us up a little bit that we've got to get rid of. That's called deliverance. We've got to get rid of those things. And that, that is some of those things you might struggle 10 years with. Some of them you might get rid of like that. Some of them might be even longer than that. You've been redeemed from the slavery of sin. Note that you're a slave to sin. If sin controls you, you are a slave to that sin. He has given us a treasure that we don't have to be anymore. Number six, you've been totally forgiven. We've been forgiven. Whatever you did, as bad as it was, you've been forgiven. A treasure. A treasure. Number seven, you have the riches of God's grace. You have all the riches of God at the expense of Christ. All the riches of God. Number eight, you have revelation of the knowledge of the mystery of God's will. The world don't know it. You know it. You have the revelation of the knowledge of the mystery of God's will. It's written right here in the book. Right here in the book. He wants all to be saved. He wants none to perish. The knowledge of the mystery of God. As we read the Word of God, there's a whole bunch of mysteries in here. As we've been moving through Genesis, I've been showing you mission. Um, I've been showing you mysteries all along, from the crushing of Satan's skull at uh, by the seed of the woman, all the way up so far to. One of, the, one of the, the angels that went to Abraham was a Christophany of Christ. We saw, we saw different 
we're going to see more as we move along. The, the typologies I just gave you, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, being Abraham, Isaac, uh, Eliezer, and Rebekah, we see all them. The pictures that we saw on, on the Mount Moriah where Abraham was to offer his son, just a picture of God saying, I will prov provide myself the sacrifice. God was saying way back in Genesis 22, 1,400 years ago, no, 1,400 B.C., 3,400 years ago, God, God already told you that he would himself become the sacrifice. And then, of course, we see John the Baptist on the scene saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29. Number nine, the, an internal inheritance. We have an internal inheritance. That's a treasure. You know, Esau despised his birthright. Jacob looked forward to that birthright. And because of it, just like you, you're a Christian. You are looking forward to the eternal inheritance that we're going to get. When we're dead, we don't just close our eyes and that's it. Not according to the Scripture. Paul says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Jesus said, basically, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself. Thessalonians, Paul says, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And, and the next verse says, Encourage one another with these verses. And the 13th verse of that chapter says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. He wants us to know this. And it says there also, He comes back with the saints. Well, I thought they were in the grave. How can He be with Jesus? Well, the, God's going to transform the flesh at that point. And the spirit of those people that were dead right now will be united with their body. Now, we'll be changed in a twinkling of an eye. Beautiful thing. These are all inheritances from God. And we have the luxury and the privilege of being a child of God. Number 10, there's a guarantee. God's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you the Holy Spirit, which indwells you. Even David, Samuel, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, Malachi, they didn't have the Spirit indwelling them. You live in a better covenant. Their covenant was a covenant of, of death. We have a covenant of grace and life and mercy. We have a greater covenant, a guarantee that the Holy Spirit that lives within us, that tells us we are children of God. We have been blessed. Don't despise your birthright, Christian. And I know Christians, that some Christians, are, I know early years ago, they despised that they got saved because they, 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 they knew they couldn't do what they used to do. Well, that answers Galatians 5.17, which says, the spirit wars against the flesh, the flesh wars against the spirit, so you don't do what you want to do because man's heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. So the Holy Spirit is in there saying, check, check, stop. Joe, don't do that. Joe, it's okay to do that. That's the Holy Spirit saying to you. There's that war going on within our spirit. That is the Holy Spirit is he's the guarantee so that you know when that Holy Spirit's speaking like that, that's a sign that you know that you're a child of God. Because you're guaranteed what the Holy, you know, have the Holy Spirit in you. He's our guarantee. God put a down payment 
on our eternal life by by indwelling the Holy Spirit within us. In the Old Testament, the prophets, the kings that were prophets, the, the Holy Spirit just dropped on them for a period of time, and then he was gone. We have the Spirit in us all the time, 24-7, 365. How great a salvation we have. Well, let's close in prayer, people. Father, thank you for your word here tonight. Lord, even in these chapters that sometimes are hard to teach, Lord God, you have beautiful gems in there for us to find. All we have to do is study and love and fall in love with your, your word. And as we fall in love with your word, we're falling in love with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, because he is the word of God. To you be the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you, everybody. I love you all.